Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here and to have the opportunity to look at the Word of God together. So we're going to do that right now by reading Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. Matthew chapter 14, reading from verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him. And put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. I trust the Lord will add his blessing to what's a really solemn uh, episode really from the word of God, isn't it? You know, sometimes in life you come across people who just want to go with whatever makes life easy for them. Maybe whatever gives them the things they want out of life. Maybe whatever just gives them least hassle and whatever's going to please other people and maybe please the people that can then give them something in return. And they're forever making decisions based on what's going to make them popular or at least what's going to make them less unpopular. And whoever happens to be shouting the loudest and pushing them the most and whoever, whoever has got most influence over the person, that's the way the person will go. That's the decision the person will make. Not making decisions based on principles or what's right, but just what's going to give me an easy life or what's going to give something for me. And, and sometimes those people can even find themselves in positions of leadership and authority. And actually, their decision making is around what's in it for them or what's going to give them least hassle. But then sometimes you meet people who are very different from that. And you meet people who are people of principle. And people who are going to say, well, I'm going to stand for what's right. I'm going to stand for the truth, and I'm going to stand for the truth even when it costs me. And I'm going to stand for the truth even if it makes me unpopular, loses me friends, gives me difficulties, doesn't bring me applause, maybe exposes me to ridicule or vilification or even places me in danger. I'm still going to do what's right. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that in this passage we see one example of each of those two types of people. 
And it probably doesn't take too much working out to work out if we've got Herod and we've got John the Baptist, which one is which out of those descriptions I've just given you. So we've got Herod and we've got John the Baptist. We're going to consider each of those characters in turn this morning. And we're going to learn lessons. And we're hopefully going to feel the challenge of this passage ourselves. You know, if you were putting a very simple header over this passage and this message this morning, you might put something like, well, don't be a Herod, be a John. So we want to, we, there's a lot of negative examples in Herod here. But there's a lot of very positive examples from the hugely principled position that John the Baptist took, even at great personal cost. So we'll look at each of these characters in in turn. Big picture, uh, sort of story of if you've been with us through the series in Matthew, great. If you haven't, don't worry, great uh, that you're joining at this point. But the big picture story, obviously the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, has been born. Um, John the Baptist has appeared on the scene and prepared the way. Then we read about the Lord Jesus being tempted. We read about him giving the, delivering the Sermon on the Mount. We read about him carrying out many miracles. We read about him commissioning and sending out his disciples. We read about opposition arising and becoming more and more prominent and intense and uh, we read about, uh, most recently we've heard about some of the parables that the Lord Jesus told us he taught about the kingdom of heaven and now at this point Herod hears about this man who's going around and doing miracles and seems to have great powers, has great powers and uh, is telling these parables and is getting quite a following and let's look at Herod then Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Tetrarch just literally means ruler of a fourth part of the kingdom. Essentially, what had happened was that Herod, this, this is the Herod who's known in history as Herod Antipas. This Herod the Tetrarch that we're reading about is Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas was 17 years old when his father, Herod the Great, had died. And when Herod the Great had died, his kingdom had been divided amongst three of his sons. And there was Herod Archelaus ruled over Judea, Samaria, Edomia from 4 BC through to AD 6. There's Herod Antipas that we're considering this morning, and he ruled over Galilee and Perea from 4 BC through to AD 39, so quite a long reign he had. And then there was Herod Philip II, uh, not to be confused with Philip I, who appears in our passage. So anyway, we're focusing on Herod Herod Antipas or Herod the Tetrarch. And you get a bit of the backstory here of what had gone on, don't you? You see, Herod had fallen for Herodias. And Herodias was already married. And Herodias was already married to Herod's half-brother, Philip I. And uh, Herod Antipas was also married. And he was married to the daughter of a king of another area, a Nabataean king called Aretas IV. And so Herod decided, well, what Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch, decided, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to divorce my wife. And uh, Herodias divorced Philip I. And then they got together and were married. And that's all sounding, you know, bad enough, isn't it? And it was. And it was absolutely wrong and not permitted. But on top of that, Herodias was actually Antipas's niece. We don't actually get that mentioned in the passage. But Antipas basically was Herodias' uncle. 
Um, Herodias was the daughter of Antipas's now deceased brother, or then deceased brother, Aristobulus. So Herodias was the niece of both Philip and Antipas. And if that's all sounding pretty confusing, it's twice as messy as it is confusing. And I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that if you go back to the Old Testament law, you can see that on multiple points, they've done stuff that they just shouldn't have done. And Herod has taken someone that he just should not have taken. And little wonder, John the Baptist says it's not lawful for you to have her. On multiple points, that was the case. So as we go through this passage, we're going to look at Herod's conscience, Herod's bad conscience in the first couple of verses. Then we're going to look at Herod's cowardice from verses 3 to 5, and then we're going to look at Herod's rashness from verses 6 to 11. So let's look at Herod's bad conscience. So Herod hears about the Lord Jesus. Hears about this person who's going around healing people and carrying out miracles and everybody knows that it's, it's for real. He's got this power. He's carrying out these miracles. You know, nobody ever tried to say, oh, these are just fake. These are fake miracles. These aren't real. These are tricks. You know, people maybe try to say, oh, he's doing, you know, people said, try to attribute his power to uh, demonic power or people try to explain it away this way or that way or, they, or, or when, when he raised someone from the dead, they, some of his enemies would think, well, let's try and put that person to, to death again um, to try and get rid of the evidence of the miracle. But they couldn't deny that miracles were happening. And Herod's conscience is working away at him. And we now go back to a little flashback that tells us why Herod's conscience is working away at him about this matter. You see, Herod had uh, been told very clearly by John the Baptist that he shouldn't have taken his brother Philip's wife, also his niece. And Herod had had John the Baptist locked up. Would have put him to death. Probably Herodias would have loved to have seen John the Baptist put put to death. But Herod also feared the people. And they held that John the Baptist was a prophet and he didn't want to upset the people either. So you can see exactly Herod's sort of decision making, sort of his approach to decision making here. And of course we're told on down the story what had happened and how that the whole sordid events of how that John had ended up being beheaded. And Herod obviously is still down the line, got a bad conscience about all this. And it's weighing on his conscience. You know, Herod sometimes actually enjoyed listening to or or liked to hear what John had to say. Seemed to have some sort of respect for John. And yet, in the events that we're going to look at today, had obviously allowed himself to be pushed into doing something terrible and having John beheaded for the sake of avoiding looking bad in front of his party guests. So it's all going round and round in Herod's conscience. He's done the wrong thing. And now when he hears about the Lord Jesus, he makes the most... He jumps to quite a, quite a bizarre conclusion, doesn't he? He says, do you know what? This is John the Baptist. Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he's able to do these miracles. And whatever it is that happens, obviously what's working away in Herod's conscience is... He's still got this bad conscience. He's put this innocent man to death, John the Baptist. And uh, he's saying, do you know what? He's thinking it, and he says it to his servants. He says, do you know what? This man, Jesus, it must be John the Baptist, raised from the dead. And I think there's only one ex- explanation for why he jumps to that conclusion. Of all, of all the possible conclusions he might have tried to come to, is that the whole John the Baptist episode was still weighing on Herod's 
conscience. He's got a bad conscience. And I wonder if you'd, you've maybe been there. Not because you've hopefully had an innocent man beheaded, hopefully not. But you've had, some, you've had a bad conscience about something. Something that you realise that you did wrong. I think we've probably all been there, if we're honest about it. And we've got something in our conscience. And whatever we do and whatever we try to distract ourselves with and whatever we try to take our minds up with, this thing on our conscience comes back and is always there. And we wake up during the night and it's there and we're thinking about it. And then we we, we fall asleep and we dream and it's in our dreams and we can't concentrate on what we're doing and uh, until we face up to it and confess and forsake whatever we've done wrong. And, you know, we just can't concentrate. We mustn't try and mute our consciences. And sometimes when you've got something in your conscience, you can, you can jump to the most bizarre conclusions. Let me give you a personal example of that. A few years ago, I realised late one Sunday evening that I had made a mistake on my tax return. An innocent mistake, a good faith mistake, an error that uh, suddenly as I was driving home one night I thought, it was going back over my head somehow what I had what I'd done, the calculation I'd done and I thought, I've got that wrong I've got that wrong and uh, I got home and I looked up and sure enough I'd made a mistake so it was late, it was probably half past eleven midnight on a Sunday evening and uh, I thought well I'll email the tax office, they'll pick it up in the morning and uh, then you know, we'll, I'll just have to fess up and uh, you know, put it, put it uh, you know, seek, seek to put it right but also on the way home that night, my flat tyre indicator had come on in my car, or my soft tyre indicator. So uh, as, as I was heading, uh, I thought I'd better head to a garage and get the air topped up. So I'm up there on Inverurie Road at the, the Shell Garage at Boxburn, about midnight on a Sunday night, pumping up my tyre, when I hear a police siren in the back uh, coming down the street. And I immediately thought, that's them coming to get me because I made a, mess, a, a mistake in my tax return. <laughs> so, so there we go. There's, there's, there's my experience of that. Um, just, just to complete the story, yes, I emailed the tax office. They, they emailed back in the morning and said, yeah, that happens all the time. Here's, here's how to fix it. Here's how to go in and amend it. And it'll be fine. So it's all fine now. And I'll never make that mistake again. But the idea is that sometimes you can come to the most bizarre conclusions when there's something in your conscience. And Herod, quite rightly, he hadn't just made a mistake in his tax return, had he? You know, he had done something pretty terrible. And uh, it's weighing on his conscience. And we get the whole flashback now as we go from Herod's conscience into verses 3 to 5. Herod's cowardice to see just why Herod is feeling bad and thinking that the Lord Jesus is John the Baptist back from the dead. So Herod Antipas, as I mentioned, had married Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. John the Baptist had said, and it sounds like he'd probably, looking at the language, he'd probably, been, he'd probably said it repeatedly. He'd probably been saying it a few times, more than once, I suspect, looking at the language here. To Herod, you know what? It's not lawful for you to have her. You shouldn't be taking that woman and marrying her. She's someone else's wife. Also, your, your niece, no. So Herod had bound John and put him in prison and uh, he would have put him to death. I think Herodias would probably have been very happy to see him put to death. And uh, But Herod, he didn't. Not because he thought, nah, that wouldn't be the right thing to do. 
because he feared the people. And he's got Herodias probably pushing him one way and saying, get, get rid of that man, John the Baptist, he's trouble. And he's got the people that he fears saying, well, actually, we hold John the Baptist as a prophet, do you know what? And, and Herod's sitting there thinking, I can't please everybody here. And it's, it's all about trying to, trying to please the people that are pressurising him. And go in the direction of whoever happens to be pressurising him the hardest. And whoever's going to give him the hardest time if he upsets them. And, it's, and he's trying to basically uh, give himself an easy life, basically, isn't he? Trying to get what's in it for, for, for him. And uh, so Herod's been confronted with the truth by John the Baptist. It's not lawful for you to have her. And he decided he would silence the truth teller. And he lacked the courage to do so definitively at that time. So here's the question for us again, isn't it? If we think about how, you know, we've all probably been in that place of having something on our conscience. But let's face it, we've all done wrong, haven't we? We've all sinned against the God of heaven. And uh, so it's no surprise that our conscience tells us when that's the case and the word of God tells us when that's the case and, we're, and we, we end up faced with the truth one way or another you know maybe it is that somebody actually tells us to our face hey you shouldn't have done that you're doing the wrong thing and it's good isn't it if we've got particularly friends who will tell us in a loving way but won't shy away from the difficult conversations we'll say do you know what you're not doing the right thing here or maybe it is that we're actually sitting and we're reading our Bible. You know, read it every day, read it. You know, start your day that way. Make, make a habit of make sure there's time to read your Bible every day and make that time because you won't just accidentally find the time. And we're reading our Bible and we become aware of something that something that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. Or we become aware of something that we should be doing that we're not doing. And maybe it's our conscience itself that tells us, you know what? You're doing wrong. This is wrong. So how do we respond when we're faced with the truth? How do we respond whether it's someone who comes, not just, we're not talking about someone just pressurising you and trying to push you into doing what they want you to do. We're talking about someone who's saying, look, hear, hear from the word of God is why you're not, you know, why, why you're in the wrong path here. We just, here's what you need to put right. Or we're faced with it from the word of God, reading it ourselves, or we have a bad conscience. How do we react to that? You know, we don't, we don't want to take the Herod approach, do we? We don't want to just silence our conscience, you know, put our fingers in our ears, try and silence the word of God or silence someone who's trying to kindly, lovingly face us with the truth. And we don't want to take the headed approach and say, well, actually, do you know what's going to be my decision-making matrix? It's not going to be what's right. It's going to be what gives me an easy life, what gives me least hassle. It's going to be trying to please the crowd or trying to please somebody who's pressurising me or trying to please this person or that person because we'll never please everybody, of course, and we'll allow people to push us into wrong courses of actions. So we're not, we mustn't be like Herod, who, when faced with the truth, behaved in a, what was really a cowardly way. You see no leadership from this leader here, do you? You see no leadership. It's all about, you know, who's, who's pressurising him the hardest and what's going to give him an easy life. So we've got Herod's conscience and we've got Herod's cowardice. And now as we go on down from the, through verses 6 to 11, we see Herod's rashness. So Herod's left John 
in prison. And it's thought that the prison was actually attached to the palace where Herod lived, uh, the, the, the Machaerus Palace, basically. It was quite a grand sort of palace, but the, the dungeon, of course, was right down sort of underground level, and there'd be no natural light, and it would be a pretty miserable place where you'd be chained up. And it's thought that that was probably where John the Baptist had been left in prison. And Herod's, you know, left him in prison, and Herodias is no doubt wanting him put to death, and Herod's fearing the people, and it's a bit of a precarious situation where Herod's just trying to ride this one out without, uh, you know, upsetting anyone too much. And that sort of precarious situation persists until it's Herod's birthday. And Herod throws, probably at the Machaerus Palace, he throws a party. A lavish birthday celebration. And we read from verses 6 to 11 what happened there when Herodias' daughter, Salome was her name. She was probably pretty young at that stage. And she comes in and she dances in front of the king. Okay, one, you know, can imagine what, what's a dance that was generally considered it would have been in that context of a fairly, a fairly wild party. And uh, anyway, she, she pleases Herod. And he makes a rash, bold promise, doesn't he, in verse 7. Promises with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. You know, it's all talk, isn't he? And you can imagine him trying to impress and, um, you know, thinking, well, this will really impress all the guests here that I, I lavishly promise. Whatever you want, I'll give you it. You know, up to half the kingdom, I'll, I'll, I'll give you it. And everyone will be really impressed. But he'd been rash. Salome goes to her mother, Herodias, says, you know, what, what should I ask for? And prompted by her mother, Salome comes and says, give me John the Baptist's head, right here, right now, on a platter. And suddenly Herod finds that his rashness has put him into a, a, an impossible position. Here he is in front of all his guests. He's, he's boldly, loudly promised, I'll give you anything you want, just you say, and it's yours, because I've got lots of stuff, and I'll give you up to half the kingdom, whatever. And uh, then he's got all the people who hold John to be a prophet, and he's not keen on upsetting them. And he suddenly realises he's allowed himself to be painted right, he's painted himself right into a corner. And here's Herod, who had taken his brother's wife and who had tried to silence the truth and be scared to upset the people and he's made a rash vow and now he does the worst of the worst really doesn't he there's an innocent man put to death beheaded just so that he won't lose face in front of his party guests so that he'll look in some way like the big man and he allows himself to be pushed into something terrible a very wrong decision little wonder we're saying don't be like Herod well let's look now, let's look at this man this, this innocent man who was killed that day, let's look at John the Baptist John the Baptist who was bold and faithful to the end you see, we read quite a bit about John the Baptist in Scripture. You know, his birth was foretold by an angel. And in Luke chapter 1, in verses 15 to 16, it was told that, is, that, 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 that he would be born and he will be great, the angel said, before the Lord. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He'll turn many of the children of Israel 
to the Lord their God. That was what was spoken of John the Baptist before he was born. And then at his birth, it was prophesied as well what he would do in later down that chapter in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 79. And his father Zechariah says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So he would be the prophet of the Most High, he would go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And that was spoken often around the time of his birth. And then at the start of Matthew's Gospel, and we considered this many weeks ago now in chapter 3, we hear John the Baptist appearing on the scene. In Matthew 3 and 2 to 3, he appears on the scene and he, preach, he preaches repentance. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And John is preaching repentance. And John, John, is, John is a pretty straight talker, I think it's fair to say. You know, when John faced the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the sort of religious elite as they saw themselves of the day, uh, the ones who were often all about appearances, all about rules, and all about self-righteousness, and he sees them in Matthew 3 and 8. He says, you brood of vipers. See what I mean? He didn't mince his words. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, do you know what? You need to, there needs to be repentance and there needs to be evidence in your life of that repentance. When he was faced with religious hypocrisy, he had no time for that either. And John the Baptist did not have any desire to make a name for himself. If Herod was all about going for the easy life, the what's in it for me, the, you know, who's going to give me what I want and give me least hassle, John was the opposite. You know what? John's been going out there and he's been preaching, he's preaching repentance. And he says, do you know what? It's not about me though. This is Matthew 3 and 11. I baptise you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. His sandals I am not worthy to carry you. To carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Do you know what? He says, it's not about me. It's about him. It's about the Lord Jesus. Isn't that a good example as well for us? You know, John the Baptist wasn't about making a name for himself. You know, you wouldn't have seen some massive organisation with his name at the head of it or something like that. He's saying, you know what, the one that's coming after me, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. It's not about me. It's about him. And then when John saw Jesus coming, John 1 and 29, what did he say? What did he say? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, John pointed to the Lord Jesus and says, Do you know what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he points out that it's all about the Lord Jesus because the Lord Jesus is the one who God sent. God had promised he would send. The one who would come to this earth to be the saviour. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are the sinners. You know, 
we might look at Herod and say he was a pretty bad example and he was but you know what we also realise that we all know what it's like to have things in our conscience and to face the word of God and say well yeah I'm a sinner too and we all are and we all need a saviour and if it weren't for the Lord Jesus we would have no hope no hope at all but God gives his own son and sends his own son who comes to this earth he's the perfect example of, of the perfect man but he doesn't just come and show us what a perfect example looks like and then leave without any uh, you know without leaving us any better off to, you know, with, with, the, with no strength to follow that example he goes to the cross and he who has no sin is crucified and dies for us that our sin can be taken away that we can be forgiven that we can be restored to God and that we can be delivered from having those, those things in our conscience and facing the word of God and realising how unworthy we are and, and we can be delivered for, from having to face you know, what we deserve you know, we deserve that we'll be judged eternally by God but God gives his son the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ who takes away the sin of the world so that everyone who trusts in him who comes repenting saying yeah that sin, that is terrible my sin is terrible and, and God is holy but God gave his son and I'm trusting in him and I take him as my saviour for the Lord Jesus did the work on the cross at Calvary and did it completely paid the price in full behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and that was who John pointed to and that's still who we point to today we're not here to talk about ourselves not here to make a name for ourselves we're here to say look Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so John let's look at John's boldness now we've gone a little bit of a tour through John's life there but let's get back to the passage and we look at John and, and, and we see in verse 4 what it was that John had said to Herod it's not lawful for you to have her it's not lawful for you to take your brother's wife and as I'm sure John knew it was a risky business confronting the king you know in those, in those days the king could pretty much do the king held power of life or death and could do what he wanted pretty much and we see that in our passage today so confronting the king was a pretty risky business and Herod of course would have put John to death there and then but his fear of the people stopped that being the immediate outcome so John's imprisoned and uh, we see the immediate contrast don't we between Herod the, the people pleaser the go for the life that gives me the least hassle and John the principled man of courage and, and there's a challenge for us there isn't there you know who, who are we going to be like are we going to be a Herod, you know, someone who looks like we've got it all together, looks like we're in charge, but actually we're anything but a leader. You know, Herod who would imprison a man for speaking the truth and uh, keep him alive because he's scared of the people and what they'll do and then kill him when he's backed into a corner and uh, he wants to look good or doesn't want to look bad in front of his party guests. Are we going to be like that? Hopefully not. Or are we going to be like John? You know, someone who would have the boldness to speak the truth even when that costs 
even when that's not going to be applauded and even when that's going to be vilified and, and you know we will come across situations like that you know we are very unlikely to face the outcome that John the Baptist did here but there will be times where we have to stand firm on the truth of the word of God and take the consequences for that and it might be like John in this passage here where it's, where it's moral issues and John didn't you know, didn't step back from speaking up on that sort of thing. But he also didn't make that his exclusive focus. It's not that every time John opened his mouth, that was what he was on about, you know. <laughs> he had more harsh words to say for the religious hypocrites of the day. And he challenged the religious hypocrisy. And he spoke out against religious leaders who were just in it for appearance rather than reality. And he preached about the need to repent. And ultimately, what did John do? John, as we saw earlier, pointed to the Lord Jesus and says look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and John's a great example for us isn't he of standing for the truth and pointing to Jesus even when it costs and even when it's tough and that cost might be different it might be a a loss of standing amongst Friends, peers, it might be criticism, it might be ridicule, it might be more than that, you know. But standing firm, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? You see, if, and, and here's something, let me, just, let, let me just point out something really important, really fundamental. If you're going to be a John and not a Herod, you've first got to know Jesus. You see, we can't stand on the truth of the word of God if we don't know the one who the word of God points to. We can't point other people to Jesus if we don't know him ourselves. At least it could be a completely incongruous position, wouldn't it? And so the first question for everyone is to say, well, have you repented of your sin? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world? For only once you're right and on the right foundation can you then go on and be a John and not a Herod so we saw John's boldness at the end of the passage we saw in in verse 12 John's burial so John's disciples took his body and they gave him a proper burial and then they did something lovely didn't they in all their grief in all their sadness and this must have been a horrific situation for John's disciples what did they do they went and they told Jesus there's a good example for us as well isn't it because life can be painful and life can be tough and sometimes something can hit you right out of the blue as far as we are concerned and what do we do when it hurts what do we do when life's painful what do we do when we don't know what's going to happen next and it just seems like the worst thing that possibly could have happened has happened we go and we tell Jesus don't we he knows already of course but we go and tell him he knows and he cares and we just cry out to Jesus there's a, there's a, a song that was out a few years ago by Third Day, it's called Cry Out to Jesus and I, I, I really like it the chorus says there is hope for the helpless rest for the weary, love for the broken heart there's grace and forgiveness mercy and healing, he'll meet you wherever you are cry out to Jesus and when John's disciples have faced probably their worst fear and it's actually happened what do they do 
they go and they tell Jesus there's an example for us as well isn't it all the time when life's good when life's tough when something that we really dreaded has actually happened or something we didn't even see coming has happened we take it all to the Lord in prayer because he knows and he cares so don't be a Herod be a John let me tell you about somebody who I'm going to suggest was a was a John he's a man called George Wishart you may have heard of him he was born in 1513 just down the road near Montrose a place called Pitaro he went to university and he studied Greek and then he got a job in a school in Montrose teaching Greek he thought well what, what would be the best textbook that I could find to use to teach my students Greek and so we got copies of the Greek New Testament of course originally it was in, it was in Greek and he gave it out to his, to his pupils and for letting these people see the word of God in the original language and learn from it it was reported to the Bishop of Brecon it's very much frowned on and George Wishart was summoned on a charge of heresy well Wishart fled to Cambridge and then he went to Bristol and uh, he kept on preaching from the Bible preaching the gospel and so there was opposition from Archbishop Cranmer he returned in 1543 so he's 30 by this time he returned to Scotland preached the gospel to large audiences he went to Montrose, he went to Dundee then he went down to a great part of the world Ayr, Galston, Mochlin I don't know if he went to Kilmarnock, but we'll, we'll let him off with that. But then when he was in the west of Scotland, he heard that the plague was raging in Dundee. So he hurried back to Dundee to try and help. And he stood at the East Port, which apparently you can still find. I'm go looking for it sometime. It's now called the Wishart, or it was later called the Wishart Arch. And he preached to the plague victims. They'd been banished outside of the city. They preached to the people outside the city that had been banished, who had the plague, and those who were inside who were healthy. Well, of course, word got to Cardinal Beaton, 11 miles away in St Andrews, who was far from happy about this man preaching the gospel, and actually arranged for a, a priest from Dundee to assassinate George Wishart with a dagger as he came down from the pulpit one day as he was preaching. But Wishart saw him first and actually managed to disarm him, get the dagger off him. The crowd called out for the man with the dagger to be put to death. He's begging for mercy, but Wishart restrained them and let the man go free. So a little while later, Wishart's in East Lothian, Ormiston. And uh, Cardinal Beaton hears about this and sends the Earl of Bothwell to surround the house with troops. Wishart's taken captive. He's taken to St Andrew's Castle. guess a lot of you have maybe, uh, uh, as you know, I love St Andrew's. And I've been there many times. And the castle, very prominent place that you can go and see. And George Wishart was put for four weeks in the bottle dungeon in St Andrew's Castle. You can still go and you can still see that bottle dungeon today. 28th of February 1546, George Wishart was brought out from the bottle dungeon. He's taken to the gate of the cathedral, just round the corner from the castle. Again, you can still see it today. He threw his purse to a beggar, saying, I'm not going to need this any longer. The bishops had a bit of a trial and, of course, declared Wishart guilty. And sentenced him to be burned to ashes. That happened the very next day, 1st March 1546. A stake was erected in front of the castle. The cardinal and bishops reclined on sumptuous cushions in the castle, looking out a window. 
two executioners brought George Wishart out. So Wishart, at the stake, falls on his knees and prays, Saviour of the world, have mercy upon me. Heavenly Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He turns to the crowd. He says, Christian brethren and sisters, be not offended at the word of God on account of the tortures you see prepared for me. Love the word which publishes salvation and suffer patiently for the gospel's sake. Should any of you be called on to endure persecution, fear not them who can destroy the body for they cannot slay the soul. I believe that my soul shall sup with my saviour this night. And one of the executioners, one of the two executioners turns to John the Baptist and says, will you forgive me for what I'm about to do? Wishart kisses him on the cheek and says, by this token I forgive thee, do thine office. And he did. And George Wishart shortly afterwards went to be with the Lord. It's only three months later that a band of men gained access to St Andrew's Castle and they killed Cardinal Beaton. And shortly afterwards, the very first Protestant church in Scotland met. John Knox was there and the congregation met in that very same castle. Wow, it's quite a story, isn't it? So, we've seen Herod. Don't be a Herod. Don't be the one who'll just go for either what's in it for you, go for the easy life, go for who's going to give you least hassle or make you most popular. Are we... Here's the challenge. Are you willing to be a John? You know, someone who follows the Lord Jesus, that's where it starts. Points others to the Lord Jesus and stands on the truth of the word of God. Even when that costs. There's a challenge, isn't there? Well, we can each seek the help of God that there will not be a Herod. That we'll be given the help to be a John. Let's pray. Our Father, we've, we've, we've read a very solemn passage today. And we thank you for a, a good example of John who pointed people to Jesus and stood on the truth of your word. Help us to do that. We pray for any who've never come to that point of following the Lord Jesus, trusting in him, receiving that salvation and forgiveness that can only be received through faith in him. May they turn to trust in him today. And help each one of us in in this world that is in many ways very different to the world of 2,000 years ago. Yet we see some of the same traits of humanity today. Help us to be faithful in living for the Lord Jesus. We give thanks for him and pray in his name. Amen.